I would say actually Nicholas Cage and Jeremy Renner would be an interesting face off. <laughs> Ultimately, Nicholas Cage playing John Travolta and Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Nicholas Cage plays all the characters. <laughs> it's called Faces Off. Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas with popular media. I am your co-host. I continue to be allergy ridden. I'm sure that this was my uh, personal introduction on our last episode, but the fact is that the environment is trying to murderize my sinuses and I'm not happy about it. But my name is Martha Sullivan and I am here today as always with my other co-host. I'm Pete Romberg and uh, man, I had something real smart and snappy for this one and I'm totally blanking on it. because I talked for 12 human minutes about my allergies. I mean, I can sympathize with the allergies. I didn't get allergies until about two years ago. And then I was like, all of a sudden, like, I feel sick, but I'm not sick. So what's going on? Oh, it's allergies. This sucks. Um, Return them. They're the worst. Yes. Yes. I, I would like to Return give them back, back now, please. <laughs> uh, Did I say my anyway. name? It's Pete Romberg, if I haven't. <laughs> 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 This is going to be a great episode, Yes, you guys. it is. Um, but we are going to be discussing today his, turning historical events into popular culture. When is too soon? Is there such a thing as too soon? Uh, what works and doesn't work when you're adapting historical events for consumable media? Um, but first, it's time to talk about what is stuck in our heads from this last week. What uh, media or pop culture have we consumed that we cannot stop thinking about? Uh, Pete, what is your, what's stuck in your head? Uh, so I just started watching this last night and I've only seen one episode, but I'm really enjoying the new, uh, Netflix show with Jim Henson, uh, Dark Crystal, colon, Age of Resistance. It is the prequel to the 1982 Jim Henson movie, The Dark Crystal. Uh, and so you've got your Gelflings, you've got your Skeksis, uh, it is a tour de force of puppetry. Uh, this new um, Netflix series is absolutely stunning to to watch, especially when you realize that, like, as the camera is swooping around these uh, vistas and like through these buildings, that they were all actually built locations. And then you have puppets and puppeteers, uh, or puppeteers, um, doing all of the action. It's mind boggling to look at. Uh, it also has an absolutely stacked voice cast, uh, including Mark Hamill doing his best Joker impression, uh, dusting that one off. Uh, and uh, basically anyone that you would ever want to hear uh, speak. A lot of Game of Thrones uh, people have made their way into it, um, and just uh, great British and non-British character actors in general. Um, yeah. So, I have a question. Uh-huh. If I have never been a huge Dark Crystal fan, mm-hmm. should I bother with this show? So I would say I would not describe myself as a Dark Crystal fan. I watched it first when I was a kid, and the Skeksis were weird and scary. Uh, and then I watched it again in college, and I might have been under the influence of some substances, so it was generally enjoyable, um, because puppets look cool. And that's kind of my only exposure to it until like watching this miniseries now. I guess it depends on what turned you off from it in the first place. 
I I'm not really sure. I think maybe I was too young for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, I think I watched it around the same time that I watched Willow, mm. and Willow freaked my tiny brain fully out. Yeah. And now I think that they're just sort of merged in my brain like i always forget that it's willow that has the scene where the whole army gets turned into pigs like that for me exists in like both movies oh sure sure um but the other the other reason that i'm kind of hesitant to start this one is it's a prequel yes and we know where it's going yes and things do not go well for the gelfling no they do not (laughs) um and i just I'm not sure I want to watch that. <laughs> Marin had maybe never seen the Dark Crystal or, like, had seen it so long ago she'd remember nothing of it. So, like, with the first episode, she's like, so what's the story here? I'm like, well, it's a prequel, and by the movie, they're all dead. So we'll see where this goes. <laughs> I mean, I guess spoiler alert for, for Dark Crystal. For a 1982 things... kids movie? Yeah. <laughs> um don't go well for them. <laughs> right. Uh... So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see the arc, um, especially as it's being called Age of Resistance. I've heard a lot of reviews say it takes a while for that, like, resistance to get going, and it's a bit of a meditation on, like, the status quo bias in society, um, which seems like it's a thing entirely up my alley. Yeah, um, let me know how you like it. Like yeah. I said, I've, I am have just always been a little apathetic about the dark crystal um in general like it it's not that i didn't like it i just never had strong feelings about it but yeah, this, sure. i mean even if i guess the end result is watch it for the puppets that feels valid to me i, I mean i gotta say one episode in watch it for the puppets it is gorgeous fair and like like how they do that kind of like insanity <laughs> Also, there's, like, a carriage uh, that's um, uh, wheeled around by giant pill bugs that, like, turn into wheels and then roll. It's very cute. Like That's wild. <laughs> Jim Henson puppets or Muppets, really adorable. Excellent. Um, so, stuck in my head this week, um, if you follow me on Twitter, you, you'll know that I recently finished listening to The Stand. Um, I believe last episode I was still embroiled in it, um, but I have finally finished. Woohoo! Um, yes. Um, and I won't, I mean, I won't be able to stop talking about the fact that I finished the stand for a while. Um, but when I emerged from that audio experience, I needed something that was going to be less of a commitment. (laughs) You, you, You didn't want 50 hours of content. It was really, it was a lot of content. Um, but, uh, fortuitously one of my new buzzy book audiobook holds um was made available pretty much right about when i was finishing the stand uh, and it turned out to be the perfect palate cleanser um i listened to a book called daisy jones and the six by taylor jenkins reed taylor yes taylor jenkins reed um which is a the oral history of a fictional 70s rock band hmm and the audiobook version is read with a different actor playing every character. So it ends up sounding like a radio documentary. That's really cool. Um, including Pam Greer as the keyboardist for the band. Yes. 
no, wait, Judy Greer. Sorry, as I was saying that, it was wrong. Um, Judy Greer as the keyboardist for the band. Um, but yeah, the whole time I was listening, I was mad that I that it was a fake rock band, so I couldn't actually like go listen to their music. Um, but I do think that it is heavily based on. Um, Oh, Fleetwood Mac. So I may just listen to rumors (laughs) for like six hours this weekend. Um, Rumors, a.k.a. an accidental best of album, because every single song on that album is A+. Well, yeah, and the the book is about um, a rock band who ends up uh, recruiting this really charismatic lead singer um, who... Yeah, and then there's, like, a lot of infighting, everyone is sleeping with each other, everyone's doing a lot of drugs. Very messy Um, breakup uh, that leads to one of the best songs of the decade. Or the best album. I mean, they Mm -hmm. they go all in on this. Nice, But yeah, it was super fun. It was, like, an eight-hour listen. Um, And I really recommend listening to the audiobook just because the experience was so fully fleshed out, having... Uh, such a wide variety of or such a wide cast of characters i've i've said on this podcast before and i'll say it again the narrator of either podcasts or audiobooks is an absolute make or break for me so uh, oh for sure really nice to hear when there are like excellent a plus uh voice acting work going on in audiobooks uh for a long time i thought i didn't like audiobooks and it turns out that this may be sacrilegious or an unpopular opinion. I just don't like the guy who narrates the Harry Potter audiobooks. Ooh, that is a yeah, an unorthodox opinion. Yeah, he didn't. He never worked for me, so hmm. I I always thought because I heard from people that like, oh, this is great. He's a great narrator. So I was like, oh, well, maybe audiobooks just aren't for me. And no, turns out he's just not for me. Jim Dale. That's the guy's name. Yeah, in the I, U.S. Yeah. I, I respect other people for enjoying him. I am clearly the odd one out here, which is fine. (laughs) Um, So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into uh, transforming or adapting historical events for popular culture. Before this episode is released, we will think of a better title for it. Welcome back. So, this episode is going to be dropping on September 11th. Um, This is the 18th anniversary of the terrorist... I know, right? Of the terrorist event that rocked Pete's and my generation. Um, I mean, it rocked everybody. But we are sort of constantly reminded in today's environment that we as millennials i mean this was kind of the defining event for us like i was a freshman in high school when september 11th happened um and i don't know that we have that we as a nation or as a culture have really dealt with or recovered from the events of that day but pop culture has certainly uh 
felt uh, comfortable dipping its toe into 9-11 as uh, fodder for stories. Um, and it's not alone. People pull on historical events to tell stories, both fictional and um, non-fictional all the time. So Pete and I wanted to take a moment uh, and talk about kind of what it looks like to take actual real historical events and turn them into uh, media that's meant to be easily and massively consumed. Um, so Pete, why don't you kick us off with the movie that you picked? Sure. Um, before I do that, you want to hear something really depressing? I mean, no, but right. okay. So if this is the 18th anniversary, then uh, beginning literally when this episode drops, uh, kids who were not born when 9-11 happened could be serving in Afghanistan. Um, because we are just in the forever war now. Uh, so speaking of forever wars, I um, picked the Hurt Locker. Uh the Iraq War, I think, was also a very formative moment for a lot of millennials' um, experiences. For me, it certainly was through the anti-war movement, which I, I was a part of. Um, I remember going to protests in 2003 with my parents uh, against the war when I was a freshman in high school, I think, or a sophomore. Um, and then in college, I was uh, involved in the anti-war movement. So uh, the Iraq War definitely had a major part in my coming of age well at the same time i never obviously was directly involved in it um the hurt locker is about a uh, uh explosive ordnance disposal team in the iraq war uh, it came out in 2008 depicting events uh roughly based on uh 2004 um it was based on the experiences of an embedded journalist who was in iraq uh in 2004 with an explosive ordnance disposal team um so that's kind of when the film is set, which means we're at a four-year remove from the events being depicted, roughly. But also 2008 was definitely uh, the peak of the war for a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. It was during um, uh, a lot of escalations on both sides. Um, uh, so it's it was sort of like in this milieu of the war was definitely still active and still ongoing um, while depicting events from just a few years before. Um Weirdly, this movie has a bunch of MCU uh, people these days. Uh, it stars Jeremy Renner and Anthony Mackie. Um, Jeremy Renner sort of like the cowboy uh, bomb disposal guy who who goes about it his own way. Um, and it sort of does... I mean, there's a plot, but that's not really important. What's important is the the sort of visceral experience of, of being in that high intensity and high pressure situation um, and sort of what that does to people. Uh, and also well, the the American relationship to the Iraqis. I mean, I think the the plot is sort of tangential to that. It's I I saw it as a as being mostly about Renner's character, um, like the effect that that work has on him and how he ends up becoming sort of dependent on. On that job. Yeah, the the movie starts with a quote that uh, ends with "war is a drug," um, and I think that's absolutely like a through line for Runner's character. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it ends with him being basically unable to readapt to civilian life and and reenlisting. Um, yeah, he ends up going back. To, yeah, and he has a wife and a child. Correct. Or just a wife? Yes. Uh, a, a wife and an infant son. Yes. So yeah. Um, I do believe Catherine Bigelow also won 
uh, the best director she Oscar did. for this one. First female director to win based on this. This movie also won best picture and I was uh, just best original ask. screenplay. It won um it was nominated for 9 and it won 6. Well, and this was up against Avatar? Um, I don't know. <laughs> when did Avatar come I... out? 08. Yeah, I think so. Because I think that was the whole deal. Like Catherine Bigelow is. Um... Oh right. Uh, yes, it was up against what's Avatar. His name? Yeah, what's his name's ex-wife? Um, and it was a whole James Cameron. James Cameron's ex-wife. Oh, I forgot and about was that drama. Whole... Well, because Avatar is the biggest movie to ever come out that no one remembers. Yes. <laughs> uh... Um. But anyway. We're talking about The Hurt Locker, which was an exquisitely made film. Uh, Catherine Bigelow knows her way around some action sequences. Yes, she does. Um, so had you seen this movie before? I saw this movie in college. Um, I did not see it in theaters, so I must have seen it shortly after it came out on DVD. Um, and I, I remember watching it, and I remember, like, the intensity of the movie but i could not have told you a single thing about it other than it's about a bomb disposal team in iraq um so i was i've been sort of thinking of rewatching it for a while now this episode gave me a really nice excuse to to go back and revisit it um and in a post mcu world it was kind of exciting to to realize that i think it was the first movie uh, for both of us that we saw um jeremy renner and anthony mackie in um and and sort of how they both popped in this movie. They were exquisite for, like, not having a whole lot else uh, going on at, at their resumes at this time. Anthony Mackie is a star. Yes. Like, he is he is legit. Jeremy Renner I have conflicting feelings about because I think he's a very talented actor who is also kind of an asshole. I think he's miscast so, a lot. Uh, I think he was really good in this. I Yeah, like I said, I think he's a very good actor. I think he's an asshole. Mm, fair. So I have... I have trouble, like, watching him and stuff. It's it's that symptomatic problem where you find out that somebody who's a good actor is a terrible human being, and then sure. you can't watch them and things anymore. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, I saw this one. It must have been pretty... I had seen it by the time the Oscars happened, but mm -hmm. I didn't watch it in theaters. Um, I I watched it on a small screen. I do sometimes wonder how it would have been on a big screen. Yeah. I, I tend to think that war films make better big screen experiences because you get the full width and breadth of, like, the sound design in particular. And, and this did win for both sound editing and sound mixing. Um, they almost always they almost always do. It's yeah. all if a, if a war movie is in contention for those awards, it's it's that or a sci-fi movie that they're throwing a bone to because it was good, but they refuse to give it any other accolades. Um, uh, no, that'll be that would be the uh, the effects awards. Mm, sure, sure. Um, anyway, I totally agree. Um, nowadays, I sort of base my theater movie going uh, experience on. Uh, is it something that I feel like would, like, earn? Like, is it better seeing it on a big screen? And this is a movie where I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't see it. Uh, and also, watching it this time around, I watched it on my iPad, which is probably the worst of the possible ways the, to see the it. The worst option, yes. <laughs> I guess my phone would have been worse, but... Um... So, in terms of 
adapting historical events. Do we consider the Hurt Locker to be a success for, or a failure? I think it's a success. Wikipedia has a long entry on uh, response among veterans, um, many of whom say that it uh, gets, some of whom say it gets like the the feel right, but like misses a lot of the like specifics and technicalities. Some of whom say it like whiffs entirely, some of which say like, eh, it's actually pretty accurate. Um, so I think that like it, this was based on an embedded journalist's experiences over there, and then it gets Hollywooded up. Well, I do think it's important to remember that something like PTSD, which this movie is very heavily feature, like deals very heavily in. Yes. Like the experience of that is going to be different for every person. Yes. So I I totally buy that this movie was like absolutely accurate to some people's experience and some people could watch this and go it wasn't like that at all right because something like that like this this movie can't reflect i think a universal experience right uh, some of the veterans critiques was was more specific and technical things like uh, they got that gear wrong they got the you know and, radio um, communication wrong or something like things like that um but that's kind of a bummer yeah on the other hand it's like well you hollywood it up and um, you know, uh, one one thing I was interested with with this was that it was, you know, it's it's a we still have soldiers in Iraq. We don't think about it, but we do. We like this came out while the war was still ongoing, and uh, so that that's sort of like a very different resonance. Um, I'm I'm thinking, you know, it to to compare to the previous war we were in, uh, like Vietnam. Apocalypse Now came out in 1979. That was four years after we left. Deer Hunter came out in 78. That was like three years after like the last troops left. Um, so those were like in dialogue with, with a recent like psychological wound of the nation. But that was in the past. Whereas this was sort of in dialogue with an ongoing psychological trauma that the nation was undergoing in a way. And I, I just like thought that was sort of an interesting thing. Especially because... At the end of the day, I almost, like, I don't think this is, like, an anti-war movie per se, but I think it is a, a pure, like, war is hell kind of movie, and definitely exploring, like, the psychological damage that it does to both, um, like, Americans and Iraqis. So I, I think it, like, through that alone, it has sort of a, I don't want to say an anti-war valence, but a, like, maybe we should think twice before we go uh, cowboying around the Middle East valence, which felt very much in line with, like, 2008's idea of the war. It feels very much like a movie that sought to explain the experience of veterans to a layperson. Mm -hmm. For someone like me who, uh, like, I can't really conceive of what it is like to be a soldier. That is not an experience I've ever had. And for a piece of media to deal very directly with a conflict that we are currently engaged in, but in a way that is more demonstrative than anything else, it's like, this is what people are going through right now yeah um, the, the the sheer tension of all of the action and like this movie is mostly action scenes um but they're slow burn raw tension action scenes rather than like firefights um yeah and this movie is not manipulative which is a, a question that i think we'll get into a little bit more talking about our next uh homework assignment like one of the problems that I have in general with translating historical events that are not that historical onto the screen is that it frequently feels like the um, the movie the filmmakers are 
using a historical event to make money, which, I mean, movies are made to make money. Um, but if it is an event that I can remember, it's like you're using a piece of my history exploitatively. Mm-hmm. And this movie feels more like they're using a piece of history explanatorily. Yes, I I agree with that. It it definitely feels like you uh, <laughs> to to preview our next homework uh, assignment that we're going to talk about. You could have made that movie without referencing nine eleven. Um, you could not have made this movie without referencing, I think, specifically the Iraq War, because it is all about uh, IEDs, which was something not unique to the Iraq War, but was a, like, major component of it, and which made it different than, like, most other military interventions we've been involved in. Thinking also of something like like Black Hawk Down, uh, which was one of the more recent um, military interventions we've gone into that had a movie made about it, uh... That's like just a, a in and out firefight situation movie, like survive against the odds movie. Whereas this is also survive against the odds, but it's it's a uniquely Iraq War movie. Like Black Hawk Down, you got helicopters, but other than that, it's you're behind enemy lines. That could be a World War Two movie. That could be a you know a Vietnam movie, whatever. Um, this one feels like it has to be situated in this time and place. Did you see Bigelow's other film, uh, Zero Dark Thirty? I haven't yet. I haven't either. Okay. So we, we can't. Should, we should have assigned that in addition to this. I thought you were going to say... Um, point break? Point break. Thank you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, not quite as relevant uh, or not quite as germane to this conversation. Um, so I, I think that I would just like to leap ahead so we can talk about these two films in dialogue with each other. Yes, yes. Because since, I keep wanting to... Okay. Since we already so, started doing that. Yeah. So the film that I have chosen for you all was a um, movie from 2010, um, so a little bit more recent, called Remember Me, uh, starring Robert Pattinson, Emily DeRaven, um, Chris Cooper, Lena Olin... Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, Brosnan doing like not a good job. I like him yeah. as an actor, but I was not impressed with him in this. So the story of this is um, Robert Pattinson plays Tyler, who's a rebellious asshole who gets. It's a. This movie is dumb and bad. <laughs> it starts promisingly. So through through shenanigans, uh, Tyler ends up in prison. Um, like on an overnight um, and then meets the the detective, the New York detective who put him in like threw him in the uh, jail for a while, has a hot daughter named Allie so he decides that as like a revenge tactic he's gonna ask out Allie and then break her heart but then he falls in love with her for real and honestly I was into this movie for a while um, until yeah, so it's it's the two of them in a fake relationship that becomes real. Um and then it ends with Tyler in one of the towers during the 9/11 attack. So <laughs> if this movie had been a straight up and down romantic drama, I think I would have enjoyed it. Um 
unlike the Hurt Locker, which utilizes historical events explanatorily, I feel very strongly that Remember Me utilizes historical events exploitatively. Yes. They were not key to this story. They come out of nowhere um, for a shocker ending that is purely meant to emotionally manipulate you into having a sad time. And I was not into that. Um, I do want to say that this is the reason I assigned this movie. So I, I was not... I was more surprised by the fact that I thought there were things about the movie that I enjoyed than I was about the fact that at the end I was like, this movie is trash and the people who made it are trash. So I, I will say I thought Robert Pattinson did a very good job. Um, I thought this movie had, I hated how this opened. I, I did not like most of this movie, but that's mostly because I felt like it had, there were kernels of ideas sprinkled about like, uh, uh, dealing with trauma and grief. Um, the uh, Allie, the love interest, uh, also this movie is straight up like, this one girl has only the relationship with a guy and her father and no other relationship. Not the best gender politics there. Um, but uh, not to get sidetracked there. She witnesses her mother get mugged and then murdered in front of her on a like train platform as a kid. Um, so she's got some trauma. Um... Robert Pattinson's character's uh, older brother uh, killed himself a few years ago, so he's got some trauma. Their whole family is dealing with grief in not healthy ways. Um, and I thought that that was, like... There were themes that could have been explored about how, like, about the healing process and all that. And I feel like it kind of didn't do any of that, and then it 9-11'd, and it was... I was just not there for any of it. Everything yeah, about it seemed cheaply exploitive, beginning with uh, the mother's murder at the beginning. Um, and then, like, just a, a grief waterfall for everyone else, with, like, the, the uh, older brother killing himself um, before the movie began and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, because at its... I mean, as like I said at the top of the episode, I think in a lot of ways we as a country are still working through our trauma vis-a-vis 9-11 yes. and i think that if, if the movie had had a clearer idea of wanting to use that as a parallel to talk about how people process trauma and even like i feel like there's there's a version of this movie somewhere that is more focused on that message in relation to the 9-11 tragedy um but then it would have had to fully commit to being about 9-11, and I don't know that it ever really did that. I I think that in order for that to have worked, the 9-11 uh, would have had to happen, um, like, halfway through the movie instead of at the end of the movie. Like, or even at the beginning. Right, at the beginning, like, totally. Like, replace the mother getting um, mugged and murdered with, like, you know, someone's mom being killed at uh, you know in the attacks well, they, i mean they could have they even could have paralleled the way that an individual experiences trauma with the way that the country did like yeah. i think you could have kept you could have kept the the mugging of the mom or the suicide of the brother um we don't need and positioned. <laughs> what we don't need both or if we no, do it needs to not. it needs to build more to the character cuz like the the mugging of the the, the murder of the mother had 
almost arguably zero impact on adult Allie, other than she brings it up once in a conversation. Right. Um, so yeah, I think the movie maybe brings up a lot of ideas, but it's just like, hey, what about this? And then it moves on to the next thing. Yes. Um, Which also is how its plot beats felt. Its ideas were like that, and also its plot and romance beats were like that, too. Yeah. My instinct is always to say I think it's too soon to make pop culture out of historical events when, like, they're still in our living memory. But watching this movie, I don't think my problem with it was that it was made less than a decade after 9-11 came out because like you said the hurt locker was even more recent to the historical events i think it is just that you rather than a timing issue it's a a utilization issue Mm -hmm. like i i think at the end of the day my problem is using historical events that are part of the fabric of my history, which may be a selfish way to think about it, because I I certainly don't feel this personal over, like, World War II stories. Um, sure, or even more, like, we were both probably too young for it, but, like, Black Hawk Down would have been within our lifetime, but also, like, I do not remember that. I might have been four. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fully willing to admit that I feel this way about remember me because 9-11 is in my living memory. Um, But also I feel like there's a version of that movie that deals with it in a more sensitive and like self-aware way. Yeah. Um, But I also feel very strong. I also feel this way about the, united flight 93 or whatever that movie was called yeah which i have not seen um because it made me so mad that they made that movie <laughs> i i had the exact same response to that and to the 9-11 movie with nicholas cage um they uh, but both of those movies like when they came out i'm just like what is this exploitative nonsense claptrap that's gonna make money because people want to go see it but like it feels like it's exploitation. So in, in talking about this, it occurs to me, is there a way? So we, we talked about in the Hurt Locker about how the movie is working really hard to talk about like the veteran experience and um, like how war is horrible, but also has a very addictive quality. Are there are there broader themes that we can talk about like that through the lens of 9/11 or is that just is that just an event that people should probably leave alone in terms of pop culture like is there is there a broader conversation there that's that we can have or is it always just going to feel exploitative and um yeah exploitative um, I, I feel like there's two, I'm always going to have my hackles up about a 9-11 movie, I think, or, or, you know, you said 18 years now, so, like, eventually maybe I won't, but, like, right now, I would still feel a little bit, um, 
like my guard would be up but i do think there are topics you could address around it um as we were talking about remember me uh the idea of grief and trauma um i really like your idea of, of comparing a individual versus a collective uh trauma event and and processing that and and everything i think that like i said i feel like remember me had kernels of ideas popping around in there some of which were interesting and it did nothing with any of them um yeah so i i think that's something we could be doing um i also feel like uh hating specifically the islamic phobia that came right after 9-11 um and the very disturbing patriotism and jingoism that went with it um i think would be an interesting thing to talk about basically i think the idea of post 9-11 processing everything that like our our collective psyche went through would be an interesting thing to tackle if done well which means that your movie like can absolutely start with 9-11 but then the entire movie shouldn't just be about the event um and it shouldn't just end with the event it needs to be the um you need to be tackling the ideas sort of in dialogue with it I almost feel like that means that we have to wait for Gen Zers to start making movies. I wonder if millennial filmmakers are just always going to be too close to it. That's... I... I think the closeness can be beneficial. Um, I, I would actually... I don't think there's been any millennials who've tackled it. Um no, it's probably all boomers. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the freaking problem, as always, the freaking <laughs> boomers. Um, no, actually, the, the best uh, thing I've ever seen yet um, in regards to 9-11 is uh, Kumail Nanjiani's joke about it in The Big Sick. Um, he, he makes some joke about, like, um, lost a lot of good people on 9-11, like all 17 of them, uh, which oh. is a pretty good joke because he's Pakistani and not Saudi Arabian. But, uh, yeah, I... I saw I, I heard that joke in, in the big sick and like just died. But that's also a, a one off in a comedy about other things rather than um you know, actually tackling the issue. Uh but it is getting at the idea of Islamophobia that and, and that came out of nine eleven in a huge way. So like lo- long story, I, I do think I, I don't think boomers should be handling nine eleven. I would love to see millennials taking a crack at it in five to ten years. Yeah, boomers can just keep making the same World War II movie that they've been making for 30 years. Yeah, or, you know, movies about how uh, uh, New York Italian drivers can save racism. Um, So do we think that there is a time limit or there should be a time limit on making, like, turning history into pop culture? Like, is there... Like, I, I happen to have very strong feelings about making biopics about people that are still alive. I think it's a bad idea. Um especially if they get to have influence over the production. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, something like the RBG doc or biopic seemed okay, mostly because she's like 120 years old. Um, well, that's, that's different right. because that was a documentary. Like I'm talking no, no, about. No, no, there was a like, biopic. Um, well, yeah, but starring, that movie was bad. <laughs> uh, it was Okay. Um, it was bland. I don't know. Yes, it was it, it especially was after watching, especially after watching the documentary. It was like, oh, she's more interesting than this movie, and that's the that's the problem. Like, I frequently feel like biopics file off all of the edges mm. when their subject is still alive, 
they file off on the, all all the edges because they don't want anyone to get mad anymore or mad at them and then you're left with a movie that honestly isn't half as interesting as it could have been sure please see bohemian rhapsody <laughs> i mean even though he's been dead for a while i guess all the members of, of the band are still had a lot that of influence was the over problem. it yeah yeah um among many um Oof. that movie <laughs> That movie winning um, <laughs> best film editing was the biggest cinema like cinemological joke. The ever the argument I heard, which I get, is the Academy felt really bad for the editor who was given dross and had to basically like make a movie out of it, and it's like he had an impossible job and he it's... created a movie that made money. So you know what? Good on him. Um, not an excuse. Simply. A possible explanation. Um, yeah, I, I can get on board with the, like, biopic. So I'm torn, because, like, the idea of, like, the biopic uh, should only happen once you're dead, that's fine. Once everyone who ever knew you is dead, well, now we're pushing it quite a while um, into the midst of time. And, like, yeah, heck yeah, I super want to watch, like, a Harriet Tubman biopic movie. I think there's one coming out. Um, yep, I watched a trailer for it in front of Ready or Not, which was a very strange trailer feature combination. Um, so, yeah. I don't know, I, I feel like it's the kind of thing where, going back to your original topic of, like, how soon is too soon, I think it depends a lot on what you're doing with the historical event, and how necessary the, the historical event is to the story you're telling. Like, and, and this begins with the discussion of, should you be telling this story at all? Is it a worthwhile story to tell? Um, and then it comes down it's to... It's a worse story to tell. Right, yeah. Um, and then it comes down to, like, how are you handling it? Um, is it kind of just cheap spectacle? Is it um, something that's, like, indelible to what you're trying to portray? Uh, but always, the closer you are to an event and the more traumatic the event is, like how big the event is, I think the more you need to be asking the questions and, um, really thoughtfully considering whether it's the choice you want to make. Um, I'm trying to think of a modern day equivalent of this, and I think that basically, like, uh, any of the spate of mass shootings would be an example. Like, it would be appalling to have a Marjorie Stoneman Douglas like school shooting movie um first off ever and second off like in the next 10 years um how do we feel about fictionalized versions of school shootings <sighs> cough american horror story cough, cough um it's kind of the fabric of society and i'm less i don't know i i have very conflicting opinions about it i think that it's bad but also actual school shootings are bad and we should take guns away from people um so yeah sorry well, but, that was a yeah, part... tangent that wasn't fully related to what we were talking about no it is though because it like i think that like fictionalized school shootings sort of fall in this like zone now we are in a a pandemic of school shootings and mass shootings in general how soon is too soon to be bringing that up into our pop culture um and on the one hand it is 
part of the fabric of our society the last couple of years that this is a thing that is a, a real possibility and a, a real, uh, you know, horror. Um, but on the other hand, how necessary is it to the story you're trying to tell? Can you tell the story without including this? Or is it some, like, are you, is the, the grief and the trauma and the horror of this shooting literally the story that you're trying to grapple with? Um, I don't know anything about the American horror story situation. My guess is that it's not. So maybe don't do that. Um, but I, I can it's sort a, of read it both ways. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I also I'm think, shocked. I also think that intended audience is important because particularly um, in this area of fictionalized versions of um, traumatic events, there's a lot of YA that's writ that's been written about school shooting stories mm -hmm. and that doesn't bother me because that's something that my teens have to like think about and may have to process yeah and in that way i think that stories are in are an important way to help people process things like that but frequently that means that that's what the book is about like it's either like the POV characters are characters who are surviving a school shooting or it's like a keystone event of the book. It's not just something that happens. It's what the book is about. And I, I think that's, I would argue that that's better than just something that happens. Like it, it should oh, be the, sure. the cornerstone of the book. All right, cool. So, so we're in agreement there. Great. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is there anything else that we want to say about this? here here's a question and and we may i who knows maybe we'll cut this because it might be too far afield all of these things we've been talking about are, uh, have been um current events that are like directly relevant to us as americans um what do you think about media that like isn't about that so like like the rohingya genocide that has is ongoing um in like a non-documentarian way do you think it would be appropriate to have like american facing media uh like pop culture media about that in a few years or is that sort of also a thing to be like like do, do, do we give the, the not should we but do we give the same sort of valence to that um that we would give to like an american tragedy i think we should i think i think there are a couple of things going on here um i almost would argue for the necessity of that kind of media because those are not things we hear about in the regular course of our news intake. Mm -hmm. Increases so, awareness about it. Yeah, like bringing those kinds of events into the pop cultural sphere means that people who may not be aware that they're happening get to learn about them. Mm -hmm. um, but also I think it's important and I don't think enough attention is paid to this. Um, I think it's important to consider who is making them. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of those... We, we don't want some boomer, <laughs> some white boomer dude uh, making the... Well, like, the Russo brothers just announced their new project, and... Do, do, do. Oh, mo uh, uh, Mosul. Yes. Okay, I know nothing about yes. this movie other than it's popping up on Variety when I type in Russo brothers' new movie. Uh, I mean, like, definitely raising red flags when it's the Russo brothers making a movie called Mosul. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that we need to be sensitive about who is making these films and not just let 
white filmmakers make movies about things that are not that there are a lot of people making movies and sometimes it's not your story to tell. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's important to not just feel entitled to any part of history. Um, just because it's like interesting to you or something. So an excellent, um, aside to that, I think like, it's not quite counterpoint, but like in dialogue with that point is, um, a movie that I signed for homework a few episodes ago, the breadwinner, which was created by an Irish studio with an Irish director, but had an entirely uh, Afghani and Persian cast um, who had like a, uh, and I think the writers might have been uh, Afghani as well. Um, so like it's, uh, like it, it it's definitely a, um, nope, uh, the writers were not, but it was uh, like the, the cast is all able to sort of like bring their own lived experience or even like just experience to it. Um, so even though you have like an Irish filmmaker doing it, it's not um, feeling like, you know, it's being exploitative. So yeah, the, the short answer to your question is that I do feel differently and I probably shouldn't. Um, the best explanation I can come up with is that I, I I kind of have to consider the emotional connection that I have to historical events when I talk about them inspiring very strong feelings mm -hmm. in me. Mm -hmm. And I would rather, I mean, I would rather our news didn't suck. Um, but if like if you take a movie like Hotel Rwanda, where the events of that movie I probably would not have known about unless I'd seen the film, that strikes me as a worthwhile filmmaking endeavor. Right. Yeah, I, I was also thinking about Hotel Rwanda um, as as this sort of idea. But I also feel like that movie falls very much into the um, explanatory rather than. Uh, words. Uh, exploitative. Exploitative, yeah. yeah. And that that movie also came out a decade after the Rwanda genocide. Um. So it had it had you know, it, it had that distance while also being, uh, as you say, I think it is explanatory and sort of like that important. Educational is always a fraught word, but like, I'm gonna for an American audience, educational. Um, well, and we we should never we should never get lazy enough to assume that pop culture is a stand-in for like actual, actual... <laughs> being aware of the world around us. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but I do think that pop culture can provide can help provide context for historical events like that. Yes, and and also just bring them into the public uh, consciousness. Yes. Have we solved it? I think so. Yay, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to do it for this episode. Um, you know, happy day of remembrance. Um, 
next episode is both going to be lighter and also more bizarre. Uh, we are going to dive into the Stephen King boat. I mixed a whole lot of metaphors there, but you know what? I'm going to let you keep it in just for funsies. Yeah, I don't really think you'd dive into <laughs> a boat, but, you know, you do you. <laughs> Who can say? Um, in light of the second part of the recent It adaptation being released in theaters, um, and Pete and my, or at least my, very great fondness for the works of Stephen King, uh, we're going to be talking about adaptations next week. We are uh, specifically adapting Stephen King. His works have been adapted more than any other authors, um, which may be related to the fact that dude writes six books a year. Yeah, he's one of the um, most prolific authors. <laughs> we and, are specifically... Oh, sorry? I was going to say, his, his books read Hollywoody, um, which probably helps with their adaptation potential. Although it's interesting that you say that because I don't know how many times he's been adapted successfully. Not as but many. We will, we will get into that. Um, we are specifically going to be talking about it, uh, the book, and the most recent film iterations. We will not be discussing the miniseries with Tim Curry, although please feel free to view that if you like. Um, and also Carrie, the book, and the two... Uh, or the 1976 and the 2013 adaptations. Uh, you can also, as a bonus, read it if you would like. It is 1,100 pages long. Godspeed. I'm going to be taking a crack at it. Um, I read it when I was maybe 12, so it's been a minute. I have some very vivid memories of the book. We'll see how well my memory <laughs> lines up with the actual bananas events that happen in that story. Uh, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find your homegrown podcasts. You can follow us on social media at DYDYH Podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Just plug Did You Do Your Homework into the search bar. We'll pop up. Uh, you can email at us. Email us. Words are hard. Uh, at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, send us your questions, comments, concerns, show ideas. Do you want to be a guest? We can probably make it work. Um, I also write a, a newsletter that comes out whenever I feel like it. It is located at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, uh, which is also where you can find me literally anywhere on social media. Uh, Pete, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Um, and then, is there maybe another uh, podcast you want to be talking about? I was going to get to All it. All right, well, I'm just setting you up, and you can knock them down. <laughs> I, you can also catch the podcast that I do with friend of the show and repeat guest Marin. Uh, every other week on the same feed, we are working our way through the currently the Netflix original teen rom-coms. Our next episode, we are going to be discussing the Goliath to All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is also the movie that uh, inspired the podcast um, in at the beginning. I should probably tell you what it's called. <laughs> It's called Love Ya. Um, <laughs> if you're thinking to yourself, Martha, last episode of Did You Do Your Homework, you said you guys were going to be talking about To All the Boys I've Loved Before. You would be correct. Uh, due to scheduling errors, we missed an episode last week. I was not proud of that. 
We will be back next week with more of that teen romantic comedy, uh, you know, cheesiness and delightfulness. When you get through all the Netflix stuff, you should uh, do Remember Me. They're not teenagers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hmm. It's also not a comedy. It's also not good, but... <laughs> well, we've watched... <laughs> I know, you've watched some drones. We've watched a lot of movies that are not good. <laughs> Quality is not one it's of good. the uh, tenets of the show. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Enjoy doing your homework. Class dismissed. Uh, yeah, but let's pencil like three hours for that episode. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I you. Talk about I could talk about it all day. I mean, it would be um, on brand for Stephen King too. Like you know, no editor, just churning through pages. Yeah, yeah. Doing yeah, some coke.